It is good to be with you again this morning, and it has just been my great joy, and it's been such a blessing to be able to share with you over these last number of weeks, and we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. It is a, a familiar passage to many. Um, it's been preached many times. Um, it is a passage that takes us into the throne room of God. In fact, uh, as we open the scripture to this particular passage, and there are others similar to it, it's like we're entering a, a different realm, a different atmosphere, because we're looking into a place where God and his prophet meet in the throne room of Christ. It, it's, it's almost as if when, when we open to chapter 6, it's like walking into some massive museum or a great library where all of a sudden we are hushed. Uh, where everything kind of fades away and the, and the magnificent, uh, magnificence of it all begins to overwhelm us. And rightfully so, that's where we should be as we come to the scripture in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. This is a very special encounter. Uh, this is an encounter where many times I think as we uh, come to a worship service we walk out sometimes hoping that we had been there. In fact, I heard a story many years ago about a lady in her church, and it was a fairly good-sized traditional church, and every Sunday she brought her kids and her husband, and they all went to church, and they sat in the pew, and they kind of sat toward the back because the kids got a little restless, and they didn't want to disturb anyone. But normally at the end of a service, as the last song was being sung and the last prayer was being prayed, you could hear the rustling of people picking up their Bibles and putting away the hymnals and getting their stuff and getting the coats on the kids. And there was kind of a, a rustling going on toward the end because people were ready to, to leave. But one Sunday, she said she noticed a young man up at the front of the church in the front pew. And with all the other things that were going on as people were getting ready to leave, he was still locked in worship. Uh, he was standing there and he, he was just, just worshiping and praying. And, and she waited to see uh, what was going to happen, but he didn't change. He didn't move. In fact, at one point, he even got down on his knees before the Lord. And she said, you know, that's an experience that I want to have in worship. Where I'm not so concerned about all the other stuff other than being in the presence of God and being changed and being so locked in with him that nothing else matters. I tell you, that's, that doesn't always happen as much as we would like it to. And I think it, it could and I think it should but it only happens when we come into the presence of God with the right heart and the right mind. When we come expecting to meet with him. When we come anticipating that he is going to speak to our hearts. Where we come totally open and available for him to do whatever he wants to do. Where we set aside all the baggage and all the stuff of life. No matter how difficult things are. No matter how great they are or no matter what's planned for the rest of the afternoon, 
But we come in prepared to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's where we come to Isaiah chapter 6. This is really a very dynamic passage. It's a very important passage. About 700 years before Christ was born, the sad announcement was made that the king is dead. Uzziah, king of Judah, had died. He had been king 52 years. He had a, had a great reign as king. Isaiah had grown up under his leadership and, and even had started to prophesy. And that's where the first five chapters of Isaiah are as God begins to speak through Isaiah and talk to the people about how God was going to deal with them. But the king had died and he was a good king. 52 years he had reigned. Great things had happened during his kingdom <laughs> until the end. When King Uzziah took it upon himself to burn incense in the temple. And God, with displeasure, brought leprosy upon him. And so Isaiah died a leper after a great rain. And here the announcement had been made. A devastating effect on Israel and on Isaiah. Their king who had led them and strengthened them all of this time had died of a dreaded disease called leprosy and instead of being buried where the other kings were going to be buried or were buried he had to be buried outside somewhere else by himself tragedy can strike us and our nation in many different ways america has experienced great tragedies over its history the bombing of pearl harbor the assassination of john f kennedy on november 22nd. I remember where I was at, Bel Air Elementary School, fifth grade, down on the, four, on the northwest corner classroom. At two in the afternoon, we were sent home as a result. And certainly we know about 9-11. And in these great tragedies, it seems that we are drawn into the presence of God. Many people started going to churches all of a sudden. They were seeking some kind of guidance, some direction, some comfort. They, they didn't understand. Things weren't going the way that they had anticipated. Shock had hit a nation. Sometimes it's in your own personal life where something so unexpected happens that all of a sudden it's just a shock and it has a tendency to bring us on our knees before the Lord. Unfortunately, many times as time passes, after six, eight weeks, after many of these tragedies, people quit going to church like they originally did. And part of it was they were not going with the heart that they needed to be there. They were trying to find a way for God to fix things. But God needed them to come so that he might fix them. And many missed that. The crisis and tragedy also results in humbling and our seeking and humbling ourselves before the Lord. We turn to him in crisis and loss, looking for answers, looking for comfort, looking for direction. Maybe you've been there. If not, you'll be there someday because our lives will always have something in them that will bring us into the presence of God broken before him. Let me read this passage for us, and then I want to share five things with you 
that come from this passage. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried out. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He, and then he said, Go and tell this people. And then he tells Isaiah what it is he needs to say. First thing I want to deal with here this morning is the uncertainty of the times. When great tragedy comes, when conflict comes, when challenges face us, many times all the planning, all the preparation, all the things that we had looked forward to, many times are going to be changed and we have some uncertainty. Uh, the security that we had been living in for a period of time may be starting to falter. We don't have the absolutes that we'd love to have. We don't like to have all the, th we, we want to have all the things laid out for us, but they don't end up being that way. This message in this passage deals on two leaders of Israel, one a king, the other a prophet. Isaiah, most, one of the most successful kings of the southern kingdom, his name literally means Jehovah is strength. And his life illustrates the meaning of that name, for he was a great king. Uh, he had become Judah's 11th king at the age of 16 and had served so well. Early in his career, he was victorious over all his enemies. He strengthened his kingdom and improved the economic status. He was a superb organizer. And his fame spread even to the Egyptian dynasty. During his monarchy, the nation enjoyed a bright spot in the world's history. There cannot be a better success story than King Uzziah. <clears throat> but by, tragically, tragically, his biography ends on a sour note. Instead of being buried where he should have been, he had to be buried somewhere else. It is this ironic twist in Uzziah's career that deserves our concentration. One would expect a marvelous accolade to be chiseled into the grave marker of Uzziah. However, the eulogy is stated with four simple words. He is a leper. The Bible says that but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led him to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, it is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priest and descendants of Aaron. You have been 
who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Someone wrote this. They said that lonely grave in the royal necropolis would eloquently testify to the coming generations that all earthly monarchy must bow before the inviolable order of divine will and that no interference could be tolerated with that unfolding of the purposes of God. That's where we find King Uzziah. As great a king as he was, he failed in the end. The second person in this story is that of Isaiah, the prophet. His name means the salvation of Jehovah, the son of Amos, who was a man of humble rank. His wife was called a prophetess, either because she was endowed with a prophetic gift like Deborah uh, or simply because she was his wife. He had two sons who also bore symbolic names. He fulfilled the function of his office during the reigns under Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Uzziah reigned 52 years, probably began his career a few years before Uzziah's death, around B.C. 762. He lived till the 14th year of Hezekiah and in all likelihood outlived that king. His first call to the prophetic office is not recorded, but there's a second call that came to him in the year that King Uzziah died. Many times, crisis is the moment when God begins to impact our life in a way that he's never impacted it before. Many times when the crisis hits and we are so devastated by it, all of a sudden God moves and draws us to him when we come to him in humility and when we come seeking him. Life happens. People are born and people die and life must go on. The reality is that our hope is not in people but in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, so that whether our leaders or brothers or sisters in Christ fail or fall into sinfulness, we can continue in the faith and hope with a hope that only comes through Jesus Christ. Listen, times are uncertain these days. The generations who follow up, uh, follow us, will face even more trials and greater challenges because of the social and moral changes that are happening in our country and in our life today. I think one of the great burdens for those of us who have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren is we know the world we live in is already getting challenging, but the world those next generations will live in will be even more challenging. They're going to face great times of uncertainty, and there's only one place to go in times of uncertainty, and that's into the presence of the Lord. The Bible tells us in Philippians 1, 6, and 7 to be anxious about, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isaiah knew where he needed to go. It wasn't out somewhere. It wasn't going to, to meet with other people. It wasn't to stay by himself. He had only one place that he needed to go in times of uncertainty, and that was into the presence of the Lord. We need this now in the uncertain times in which we live today. The second thing is the urgency for answers. It says that I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
When times change, when the comfortable becomes uncomfortable, and when God reaches down and stirs the water of our normal routines, we are suddenly and passionately driven to our knees to seek his face, to look for answers and direction. I don't know if you've ever had moments like that. I don't know if crisis or tragedy in your life has ever brought you to that point. I would hope that it has because it's in those moments when we walk into the presence of God in a way that we generally are not ready to do. When there's no place to look but up, that's when God does his greatest work. It's in these moments when all the fleshly layers are removed from our hearts and we are open to hear the Lord speak to us. Crisis breeds desperation and desperation draws us to the throne room of the only one who can provide answers and encouragement. Isaiah sought comfort. He sought answers in the time of crisis. He went to the temple to fall before God, the God of Israel, that he may hear from him, that he might be encouraged, that he might be strengthened, that he might be comforted. How passionate and how intentional and how faithful are the prayers of God's people in crisis when it comes to them as individuals and even as a nation. And I think those are the greatest moments when we recognize we have no power, that we have no ability to change the circumstances, when in the midst of everything being lost, we have so much to gain in the presence of God. In Jeremiah 33, 3, it says this, Call upon the Lord and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. When I was a new believer, I heard an evangelist tell me this. He said, here's God's telephone number. Write it down. And he said, J-E-R-333. <laughs> Call upon the Lord and he will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. I never forgot that. It's a great passage. Uh, you can just plug it into your phone, hit, hit redial, and you got it every time. We see this in the early churches. Peter and John had been preaching in the gospel and they had been arrested and put in jail. Then later as Peter was in jail and released by an angel of the Lord, he went to where he knew the church was meeting because they were praying for him in that situation. Every time we see trials and, and challenges, prayer is involved. God's people are gathering. They're seeking God to move and to give direction and to, to encourage them every single time. Those times were not just in biblical times. They need to be part of our life today as well. For Isaiah, the situation had become critical. Who would be king? What kind of king would reign over Israel? Would the next king be a good king or bad? And what role would Isaiah have in speaking the word of the Lord? <clears throat> now just think about our situation today. Who will be king? Will it be a good king, a bad king? And how will it affect the preaching and the teaching of God's word? I think that's a great question to ask in our situation in our nation today. We need to pray for God's will and for his purpose. And our being submissive to that, we don't get to choose necessarily. God knows who's going to be next. We need to be obedient to the Lord and surrender to whatever God is going to do. Because no matter how good it is or how bad it is, the throne room of God is open for us to enter into when we enter in with the right heart and the right mind and the right soul. 
Many are living this out in their lives today with the insecurity and uncertainty and the chaos in our nation. Folks, this is the time when we need to be in the throne room of God. The third thing here is the unveiling of holiness. Then it says the scripture says this, that Isaiah saw an awesome sight. He said, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, and each with six wings. Two, they covered their face. Two, they covered their feet. Two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. What a powerful sight. What a powerful sight. Here we have uh, the, the, the angels that were around, covering their faces in humility. They couldn't look upon the Lord, covering their feet, covering uh, with their other uh, wings. They were flying, ready to serve the Lord, and they were worshiping God in his holiness. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you've been maybe driving down the highway, and uh, I know out here when you're out by Vaughn, and there's so much to see on the highway anyway in the, in, the, in the late summer. That is a great place where uh, the clouds begin to gather. There's some tremendous thunderstorms that take place out in that area. And uh, Trudy and I were driving one time in an old 56 pickup uh, back when you, you know, had a bench seat. So she was sitting next to me and the windows were down because there's no air conditioning in that thing. My arm out the window. And this was even before I surrendered my life to Christ. And I looked south, and it had been cloudy. And you could see spots where the rain was coming down. But the sun was shining through those clouds, and you saw those great rays revealing the glory of God. Or maybe you're out there at night, and maybe you're a hunter, maybe you're just somebody that likes to be outside, and you look up into the sky where there's not a lot of a light around to, to take away the beauty of the night. And you see the massive amount of stars. And you can't help but feel so small in the midst of this great creation. And it naturally draws us to understand and see the magnitude and majesty of God. And then there are those times when God just works in someone's life. Someone that you thought was just hopeless. And yet God in his power and in his sovereignty drew them to himself. And he transformed them into a new creation. And you see their life dramatically change and you just sit. And you sit in awe of God's holiness and his work. There is an unveiling of who God is. An unveiling of his holiness that draws us to recognize him and to worship him. Here Isaiah viewed a scene which would change his life and ministry as he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Anytime we come broken in need, seeking, asking, and searching before the Lord God, he will reveal himself. It's when we come with no sense of need, when we come with pride, hypocrisy, when we come out of obligation, or when we come with unforgiveness and hate in our hearts that we leave the same way we walked in. You know, every time we come into a worship service or a Bible study, our prayer ought to be, Lord, don't let me leave this place without knowing that I have met with you and that you have changed me in some way. 
That's a prayer we ought to pray all the time so that we prepare ourselves to hear from God, that we prepare ourselves to worship him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When was the last time you came before the Lord broken, humble, surrendered, searching, and asking? God answers our prayer, but he doesn't always answer it the way that we would like him to. He answers it according to his will. The fourth thing here is the unleashing of sin. Isaiah, in the presence of God, broken before God, seeking God, cries out in the midst of the temple, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. That atoning is a, means to cover it's not the atoning work of Christ here. It's the covering of his sin for the work of ministry and purpose that God had for him. There is no question as, the unveiled, as unveiled through scripture that when you come into the presence of a holy God that you will be changed. For, for Isaiah, the reality of the sin in the presence of God became unbearable. Our sin is magnified in the light of the glory of God's presence. But again, we only sense that and we see that when we come humbled and broken before him. Too often those who are Christ followers fail to realize the magnitude of our sin. We kind of put our sin in different categories or we compare our sin to someone else. But the Bible tells us that we are sinners who are saved by grace. And that when we sin, we must acknowledge our sin. We're supposed to confess our sin one to another. We're supposed to come before God. And the scripture says that when you sin, if you will ask forgiveness, he will forgive you your sin. You see, we let sin get too light in our lives. We let it kind of overpower everything else and we seek to justify it. We justify hating a brother or sister in Christ. We justify not forgiving someone. We justify how we act or react to people. All of that has to fall away to the sides because in the presence of God, every shadow of our heart is revealed and God sees us for who we are and he shows us who we are through his glory. And when God does that, we only have one response. Woe to me. Woe to me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips as well. You see, that's where we have to be. We can't par come partially broken. We can't come, you know, just a little bit. We have to be broken all the way in order for God to do his great work in us and through us. Isaiah was God's prophet. He had served God faithfully, yet he was given a view of the throne room where his sin became overpowering in his life. And he confessed it. That leads me right into the fifth piece here. Unhindered surrendered. It says that, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. 
send me. There's always a response when we come into the presence of the Lord like this. When we come into that throne room and we, we are in awe of God and his power and his presence. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. Uh, he's all present. God, who is so far above us and beyond us, allows us to come into his throne room, not in fear because the Bible says there's no fear in love, but we come into his presence because that's where we meet with him in a way we don't ever meet with him otherwise. And we come to surrender ourselves. Isaiah needed to surrender himself to God's calling and purpose for his life. He heard the cry or the call of God saying, who are we going to send? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. There were no excuses. There were no kind of looking ahead and thinking, well, I wonder what this will mean. Uh, how much time will this take? Or, you know, what is God going to require from me? All of that had been pushed aside. There was only one thing important to Isaiah at this point, And that was that he needed to serve God, whatever that meant. However long it would take or whatever suffering was involved, he needed to serve God. There is a series of books that was put out by Nancy Lee DeMoss. Uh, and they were, it's a trilogy, and, and they're called Brokenness, Surrender, and Holiness. And it's about the, uh, a, a conference from Campus Crusade for Christ many, many years ago. They were meeting in Colorado Springs. It was the annual convention, so there were students and leaders from all over the country there. And they had an agenda. They had everything planned out. Everything was going the way that they were going to have it. And uh, the, the first day as the conference started, they started in worship. And uh, someone came up and, and gave a testimony. Uh, another person came up and started giving a testimony. And then they started to confess their sin before the entire crowd. Then others came up and started confessing sin one to another and others. And soon the entire conference was a mass of brokenness before God, confessing sin. So much so that they, they had to arrange, rearrange the entire week of the conference. And she broke it down into these three things that took place. One, there was a, a complete brokenness before God through the acknowledgement and the confession of sin. The second thing was, is that they surrendered to do whatever God wanted them to do. And the outflow of that was holiness, being set apart to live a life of holiness before God in their mission and in their purpose. 2,000 years ago, there was an announcement that the Nazarene had been crucified. Jesus was dead and buried, and it shook the very foundations of the earth. Many mourned, many were worried, and those who knew him had, and loved him were afraid and uncertain about the future. Then on Sunday morning, another announcement was made that he is alive. Sin and death had been overcome, and the very gates of heaven were open to all who would receive God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, great tragedy results in great triumph they thought all was lost uncertainty they needed answers they were seeking they were trying to find comfort they needed God to do something in their life and Jesus who had died on the cross paying the price for your sin and my sin the sacrificial lamb gave himself for shed his blood 
and then overcame sin and death through his resurrection. So that any person and every person who would call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, can be saved. When we acknowledge our sin coming before God, and I've heard testimony after testimony over the years of someone reading a Bible in a motel room or somebody through the testimony of another person recognizes their sinfulness and they're broken before God and they confess their sin. And in their heart, because of that confession, they want to turn from their way and follow Christ. And they surrender themselves unto him, believing that what he did on the cross was sufficient to pay the price for their sin. And they became a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. You see, that's the great joy that happens through the resurrection of Christ. And from that, Jesus gave us the command to go and make disciples. Who will go for us? Who shall we send? Those who are broken before God and who are renewed and restored and are saved through faith in Christ are called then to go out and represent him in the world, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. So what will we do with that command? Until we come before God broken in humility, seeking his faith, confessing our sin, we will not change. If what you brought in here this morning, you will walk out with if you don't come before God in brokenness and confession of your sin, to be renewed, to be restored, to be saved if you're lost, but to be effective and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and worship him and serve him. It's a great story. There is so much more in this passage. But there comes a time when the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts and we must respond to that in some way. I shared with David earlier and I shared with others over the years that I think the purest instrument on earth is the human voice expressing worship to God. And so this morning as I close, I want us to sing this hymn together. Some of you know it, some don't. But we all can sing it together. The words are going to be on the screen. But I don't want it just to be sung with your mind. It needs to be sung with your heart. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Father, you have heard our answer to your call. Now tell us how best we can go and fulfill that calling and that mission that you have given us through Jesus Christ, your Son. For we pray it in his name. Amen. Amen.
I'm gonna invite Miss Trudy Turson to come on up as well. And you guys can just hang here for a second. Church family, as you know, um, John here has been uh, faithfully filling the pulpit for us the last several weeks to give us some consistency as well as help with the transition. And with Lamar coming on soon, this is going to be the last Sunday he'll be serving us, in, at least in that capacity. Yep. So uh, we just wanted to thank you for all the support that you've lended us, not just the last several weeks, but the last several years, right? You all know that John is the director of the Central Baptist Association, but uh, you've just been an amazing support and blessing. You have, uh, you've given uh, counsel and advice to the pastor search team. You were instrumental in, uh, in helping Steve Dighton to come here for a time as well. You guys were friends. Uh, you have lended a listening ear to the, to the staff and uh, to myself personally. We've had several meetings and given uh, us all encouragement and, uh, and wise counsel from, from all your experience. And so just uh, what an amazing blessing that you've been. Also, the timely and powerful messages that he has brought on a week-to-week -week basis, especially these last several weeks. Amen. And what I love about this brother is, you know what, uh, amen. Good job, church. <laughs> you know, uh, it was St. Francis of Assisi that said, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Now, we know it's both the words and the lifestyle, but that's the one thing, one of the things I love most about this brother is that he lives out what he preaches. He's an embodiment of what he, even what we've heard today, brother. And so just thank you for example. And Ms. Trudy, thank you so much for standing faithfully by his side, giving of yourself sacrificially so he could come and support us during this crucial time as well. We love you as well. So we have a very small token of our appreciation. Let me, let me just give you one really quick insight into this man's character. I try, we tried to up his honorarium a few weeks ago because he was going to be filling the pulpit consistently for several weeks, and he wouldn't let us do it. Well, you're taking this today, brother, okay? <laughs> Don't give this back to the church, okay? We love y'all. Uh, Thank you so much. <laughs> well, it's been our great joy and pleasure to, uh, to be a part here. Um, we actually are, are going to take the membership class here at the end of October. Uh, we're going to make this our church home. So uh, we love you. We want to be a part. We are totally in support of Lamar and his ministry and looking forward to serving with all of you and, uh, and continuing to, to lead the Central Association. So thank you. Uh, you've been such a blessing to us. Amen. We're so grateful you're joining our, our church family officially. Hey, real quick, church family, let's just, let me just give you a quick timeline on Lamar. Uh, Lamar and Lynn are actually at First Baptist Church Albuquerque today, kind of wrapping up some loose ends there. They've been attending there, so they're saying their farewells to their friends uh, there. And then they'll be actually on site here next Sunday, October the 4th, but Lamar will not be preaching because as you just saw early in the service, we're having our discipleship conference. So Dr. Frank Turek is going to be bringing the message. We've had that scheduled for a long time. But Lamar will be on site. And then the following Sunday, October 11th, will be Pastor Lamar's first official Sunday here in the pulpit. Okay? So it's an exciting time. Keep praying. And God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Okay? okay?